What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Larry. So this episode, I'm going to dive into the Monday Night Football game from this past Monday night between the Giants and the Seattle Seahawks. It was a brutal night for the Giants, especially in offense, losing that game 24-3, only getting a field goal in the second quarter. That was the only time that the Giants scored in this game. So obviously very disappointing for the offense yet again. I'm going to dive into the game, go drive by drive, mostly in the first half of what happened in the first half on offense and defense. And then I'm going to give my thoughts on Daniel Jones, a guy that a lot of people have been going at and slandering over the past week for his poor performance on Monday night. I'm going to give my thoughts on whether or not it's Daniel Jones's fault and what I ultimately think is the main issue for the New York Giants. And it's not Daniel Jones. I'll give you my answer already right now, even though this is going to be a long rant, a long episode probably on the Giants. So if you're not really interested in hearing thoughts about Daniel Jones, this probably isn't the best episode for you since it's going to be a deep dive into a lot of his struggles and the Giants' offensive struggles as a whole. But I do not think it's Daniel Jones's fault for the reason that the Giants are 1-3. Obviously, he hasn't played great, especially Monday Night Football. Didn't have a great night. Probably one of his more poor games in the last couple seasons. But if you look at it, the offensive line is so poor, I don't know any other quarterback that could succeed in that Giants offense. So the Giants started out in this game with the ball, and it was a similar vibe on the first drive to the Giants game against Dallas in Week 1. It was a Sunday night football game for the Giants in Week 1. Then this game, this past Monday night, was obviously another night game. Both of them being night games, the Giants in the first drive are moving the ball down the field, and then they get to a fourth down play. And in this situation on Monday night, it was fourth and one for the Giants. And Daniel Jones... Heading into this game, had 18 straight conversions running the ball on 3rd and 1 and 4th and 1. And then in this game, with an opportunity on 4th and 1 to get a first down, the Giants try the tush-push play, which has been used just about every single week by the Philadelphia Eagles, and they do it very well. The Giants try it on 4th and 1, and they come up short, do not get the first down, and on the same play, they lose two players. They lose John Michael Smith, their starting center, and Daniel Bellinger, one of their tight ends, both of them out for the game with an injury on that same play. So that's obviously a brutal loss, considering they not only don't get the first down, but they also lose two players that are key parts to their offense, especially John Michael Smith, the center. Which, at the time, I agreed with the call. I thought it was the right call, but poor execution by the Giants. It was the right move, considering how well the Giants are moving the ball, but not picking up the first down, it does leave a bad taste in your mouth. And on that same drive, Jamal Adams, who missed a full season, basically, for the Seattle Seahawks, only played in one game last year, missing a full year, gets back on the field, and suffers a concussion on the first drive of the game. Then the Seattle Seahawks got the ball, and Kenneth Walker, on the first play of the game on offense for Seattle, had a run to the outside, ran to the right, and Bobby Okereke, Giants linebacker, tried to make a tackle. It was supposed to be a tackle for a loss, but it looked like he rolled over Bobby Okereke, and he ends up getting up, Walker, and he runs all the way for a touchdown. It would have been the cheapest touchdown I've ever seen. But luckily, his elbow was down. So it ends up not being a touchdown. But it would have been a 73-yard touchdown score. And it would have been the worst start to a game for the Giants. And probably worse than the Giants versus Cowboys game in Week 1. But luckily, after that, Kayvon Thibodeau made a big play on second down with a big pressure. The Giants made a big tackle against Jackson Smith and Jigba for no gain. Then a third down, a big sack by Kayvon Thibodeau. He showed up heavily on that first drive. And then Eric Gray muffed a punt. For the Giants, but luckily the Giants recovered, so that was a break there. The second drive on offense for the Giants, Daniel Jones was under a lot of pressure as that was the storyline all night. He was sacked on the second drive by Devin Witherspoon, who had a monster game, a rookie defensive back, top five pick for Seattle in this past draft. Daniel Jones had to pick that up pre-snap, had to see Witherspoon would be unblocked. He didn't end up seeing that, so that sack was on Daniel Jones. But a lot of the sacks on the night were just tough for Daniel Jones, considering he was just under pressure consistently every single play. So then on the second drive of the game for the Giants on defense, they caught a break. Adoree Jackson had a pass breakup for his Tyler Lockett. 
but it was a defensive pass interference call, but it ends up being taken back on an offsetting penalty by Seattle. So the Giants caught a break there, which on the same drive, there were a couple holding calls by Seattle, including one by DK Metcalf and another one by an offensive lineman. And they also had a false start. So the Giants were getting a lot of breaks here with penalties by Seattle. And on the same drive, Aziz Ojolari was making plays for the Giants, pressuring Geno Smith. So that was obviously a good thing, getting Aziz Ojolari going. Then on first and long, a quick pass to Jackson Smith to Jigba. Went for only a gain of one yard. Cordell Flott made a big stop on that. He was playing a lot in this game. The Giants decided to sit Trey Hawkins, so Flott was back in the slot as a starting corner. And then Dory Jackson went from the slot to the outside, where he's more comfortable playing on the outside anyways. Then on third and nine, Geno Smith had a big conversion to DK Metcalf. A great catch, but the Giants caught a break. DK Metcalf went out of bounds. So yet again, another break for the Giants early in the game. Between the muff punt by Eric Gray that was recovered, the penalties by Seattle, Kenneth Walker being down in the first run of the game that would have been a 73-yard touchdown score if his elbow didn't hit the ground, and then also DK Metcalf going out of bounds. The Giants caught a lot of breaks early in this game. Then Daniel Jones on the third drive of the game had a brutal fumble. He avoided a sack, ends up getting out of it, but he ended up hurting himself even more on this play because if he just took that original sack or threw the ball away, if he was able to, it would have either went for an incompletion or a loss of, let's say, seven or eight yards. Instead, he avoids the first pass rusher, gets out of it, and then gets hit from behind, loses the ball trying to get out of the pocket, and gets nailed for a strip sack, which Seattle ends up recovering. On that play, Matt Pert was in the game as an extra blocker for the Giants, and that still didn't work. Marcus McKeithen was the left guard for the Giants in this game, and he ended up letting his guy go on this exact play that Daniel Jones got hit from behind and ended up losing the ball. So Daniel Jones had no chance on that one. I do wish he got rid of the ball and maybe took the original sack, but that's all in hindsight at the end of the day. He was just trying to make a play happen when there really wasn't anything there. Then on the next drive for the Giants' defense, they played pretty well. Seattle got the ball with short field position. They were in a great position to score. The Giants' defense played well, tackling very well in the first quarter. The pressure was there, but you need to get home. Pressures are all great and all, but you need to either force a turnover of Geno Smith or sack him. At the end of the day, Geno Smith avoided a sack from Kayvon Thibodeau and threw a touchdown pass to DK Metcalf in the second quarter. Not what the Giants really wanted, especially early in the game with the turnovers, but being down 7-0, especially with all of their mistakes, they were built up by a lot of mistakes by Seattle, obviously, but to be in the game, having it be just a 7-0 game, I thought, okay, the Giants are still in this one. They can figure things out. It is a long game, but obviously the offense didn't look great at all in their first three drives of the game. So then the Giants received a kickoff, which on this kickoff, the Giants had a penalty from Gary Brightwell, he pushed a guy after the play was over, got an unnecessary roughness call, so it ends up being a 15-yard penalty. Not a good night for Gary Brightwell, not a really good night for any guy on the Giants, but to make mistakes and obviously have penalties, that obviously hurts you even more. So very poor discipline for the Giants in the first quarter. Daniel Jones on this drive had a great third down play to find Matt Breida for a 22-yard gain. That drive ended up stalling, unfortunately, but the Giants did get a field goal on it. A 55-yard kick from Graham Godot to make it a 7-3 game with just about three minutes to go. In the second quarter, DJ Davidson, a defensive lineman for the Giants, did have a big quarter. He had a big bad pass down that the Seahawks had in their first drive of the second quarter. Geno Smith ended up catching the ball and then got tackled going out of bounds by Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker for the Giants. It was a legal hit in bounds in the field of play, but Geno Smith was hot, not happy with it. Ends up getting in the face of Xavier McKinney, a safety for the Giants as a captain, thinking it was McKinney that hit him late. It was really Isaiah Simmons. Regardless, though, it was a legal tackle in the field of play. But that hit by Isaiah Simmons ended up making it a chippy game with Geno Smith obviously fired up getting in the face of Xavier McKinney. And then it just seemed like all night there were chippy plays back and forth between Seattle and the Giants. So after Geno Smith gets in the face of Xavier McKinney, the next play 
Geno Smith, under pressure, tries to throw the ball on a swing pass. The Kayvon Thibodeau jumps in front of him, almost pick sixes it, and takes it to the house. It would have been an acrobatic play, considering it hit off his hands once or twice. It obviously took a great hand-eye coordination there to try to bring that in. At the end of the day, it would have been an acrobatic play, but at least Kayvon Thibodeau was showing up. Obviously, with the pass breakup there, he had a big sack and also pressures in the first quarter as well. So it looked great seeing Kayvon Thibodeau finally wake up for the Giants on defense. Then the Giants' next offensive drive is where they kicked that field goal. I already mentioned a play on that drive where Matt Breida was fined for a 22-yard gain on third down by Daniel Jones. The Giants kick a field goal on that drive, which you would take at the end of the day considering on first down of that drive, the Giants had an 8-yard loss on a swing pass to Paris Campbell. Devin Witherspoon, defensive back for the Seattle Seahawks, made a great play on that. He was playing lights out all night. Luckily, the Giants did get a 55-yard field goal on this drive to make it 7-3. I was thankful it even be down 7-3 considering all the mistakes that the Giants had. And obviously, Seattle had their fair share of mistakes as well, which kept the Giants in the game. It looked like after that 8-yard loss by Paris Campbell on first down, it looked like the Giants were just playing for a field goal on that drive, which... Maybe it could have been a trick play there that the Giants were going for with Paris Campbell, but he ended up being hit, and the Giants take a field goal on that drive. The next drive on defense, Seattle Seahawks sent out Drew Locke at the quarterback position with Geno Smith out with a leg injury. Locke ended up getting a dab from Pete Carroll on the sidelines. It looks like he was trying to fire up Drew Locke and get him ready to go. Locke had a completion on one of his first passes to Noah Fant, where the Giants missed two tackles on the play. And ends up going up the sidelines for a 52-yard gain by Fant. A lot of it coming after the catch, making guys miss. And the Giants just having poor tackling. The Seattle Seahawks abandoned the run with Drew Locke in the game. They just completely decided to throw the ball each and every play, it felt like. And they ended up finding Fant on a short pass that went for 52 yards up the sidelines. Pathetic defense by the Giants. They continued to miss tackles. They could have just hit him out of bounds. But he ends up finding a way to stay up. And he ends up running up the sidelines for a major gain. On this drive, there was a matching personal foul call on the Giants and the Seahawks. Anthony Bradford, an offensive lineman for Seattle, ended up picking up a personal foul. And the same goes for Leonard Williams, the Giants' defensive lineman. Just frustration was getting to the Giants. And that led to some of these personal foul calls and unnecessary roughness plays. On 3rd and 11 on the next drive for the Giants on offense, the Giants decide to run the ball with around a minute to go in the second quarter, down 14-3. It felt like Jake Fromm's quarterback sneak on our own goal line a few years ago. And obviously with all of the boos and all the backlash the Giants got, I thought that was the lowest the Giants could ever go. Deciding to run the ball there, down 14-3. It felt like a very similar situation. Dable was talking to Daniel Jones coming off the sidelines. He wasn't happy at all with the Giants deciding to run the ball there on third down. And he wasn't happy with Daniel Jones' second down pass either that was nearly picked off. The defenses were sitting on the Giants underneath stuff for a lot of the game since they know the Giants really can't take many shots downfield considering Daniel Jones doesn't have the time to let his receivers get open downfield. So they know the Giants are going to rely on underneath routes. And that's a reason it was tough there for Daniel Jones, especially on second down where he had a pass that was almost picked. So then the Giants decide to punt the ball, get the ball back to Seattle. The Giants' defense used two timeouts to force a three and out and try to give the offense a chance with the ball back. Unfortunately, a penalty on the Giants ends up giving Seattle a first down on the punt. Gary Brightwell ran into the punter, and then special teams linebacker Cam Brown also had a holding call on the punt, which was accepted. The Brightwell call was declined. The Brown penalty was accepted. So it gives Seattle a first down, as you can tell. Too many special teams penalties and mistakes for the Giants on the night. And yet again, this was another game where the Giants' offense was very cold during the first half and didn't come out ready to play. The Giants are the only team through the first three weeks, and now the first four weeks, without a first-half touchdown. The only team in the NFL without a first-half touchdown. And they found a way to be even worse again this past Monday night, being down 14-3 against Seattle, a team that they should be beating, or at least be in the game with, 
You need to be able to score a touchdown. Considering how poor Seattle was defensively heading into this game, especially their secondary giving up 300 passing yards per game and giving up 27 points per game in all three of their first three games of the season, I thought the Giants were going to take advantage of the pass game and try to throw deep. That wasn't the case, though. In the second half, Geno Smith ends up coming back out and playing. And the Giants caught a break on that first drive of the second half, yet again with Seattle finding themselves ways to get penalties. An ineligible receiver downfield by Seattle and also an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty by Geno Smith helped the Giants. The Giants ended up getting the ball back after a fourth-and-one pass breakup by Micah McFadden, a linebacker for the Giants. Inside Giants territory, they make a big stop on fourth down. It was supposed to be a holding call, but no call. So the Giants do get a break there. They get the ball back. And the next Giants drive ended on a sack. Daniel Jones was just facing consistent pressure all night. Couldn't throw the ball deep because receivers couldn't get downfield. Considering their routes to get downfield take probably about three or four seconds to get downfield. And Daniel Jones didn't have that time in the pocket before the Seattle Seahawks pressure was getting to him. So the Giants ended up settling for a lot of underneath routes all night. The Giants decided to punt. And on this punt... There was a holding call on long snap of Casey Kreider. So yet again, another special team's mistake by the Giants. But the next defensive drive for the Giants, the Giants defense stepped up yet again. A big pressure by Dexter Lawrence on a Seahawks third down play in Giants territory. It forces a field goal attempt by Seattle, which they end up missing. So the Giants defense was doing their part. And the Giants were getting lucky with penalties and obviously mistakes by Seattle. But the story was the same all night for the Giants offense. Daniel Jones was just running for his life every single snap. Devin Witherspoon blitzed the first play of the Giants' next drive and was all over Daniel Jones. Second down was a face mask on Seattle defensive lineman Edwards. Gives the Giants a first down. Yet again, another break with a Seattle mistake. At this point, I'm thinking the Giants should honestly be down 28-3. But Seattle making a million mistakes kept the Giants in this game. And if the Giants could take advantage, they would probably be up in the game 28-14 if their offense could have moved the ball. With all Seattle's mistakes, if you could take advantage of half of them, you'd have at least two or three touchdowns if the Giants' offense was competent enough to score points. But obviously, the offensive line was a bigger reason the Giants couldn't move the ball downfield. And honestly, it was sloppy both ways. Seattle did everything possible to keep the Giants in the game. On a huge 4-1 to call, the Giants called a timeout, got Daniel Jones out of the pocket on a play action. He rolled out for a big first down run to make it first and goal. Took a big hit, but he's a big guy. He's been taking big hits his whole career in the NFL. He spiked the ball some fire. I thought, okay, this could be a turning point in the game. And then the next pass, the next play... Daniel Jones throws across the field, across the hash marks, trying to get the ball to Paris Campbell. And it was a poor pass to Paris Campbell. It was a poor throw by Daniel Jones, poor decision. The ball just hung in the air across the field, gave Witherspoon time to make a great jump on the ball, get it, and obviously return it for a touchdown. So I'm not sticking up at Daniel Jones for that pass. It was not a good throw. It was behind Paris Campbell, and obviously it was very costly. But they wouldn't even have gotten down to the goal line if it wasn't for Daniel Jones' running ability. Because the only reason they got down there was because Daniel Jones had to be out of the pocket every single play and had to use his legs to move the ball downfield for the Giants' offense. There really had no way of getting guys open, considering there really was no time because of the offensive line. So in my opinion, the Giants wouldn't have even gotten down there without Daniel Jones and his ability to run the ball. The few people that were on the Daniel Jones wagon before the game jumped off. And I'm staying on because I've been with him the whole way and I believe in him. I don't care if I'm the only one that believes in Daniel Jones. I would stay in that wagon and support him no matter what, considering how poor the offensive line is. I don't know any quarterback that could succeed behind that offensive line. You can't really do anything with only one second between the snap and the pressure getting in Daniel Jones' face. One to two seconds. Receivers can't even get downfield to get open. And Daniel Jones has to not only avoid two defenders in the backfield each time he drops back, but he also has to look upfield to receivers that aren't even open. Not really much separation for any of them. And as Joe Buck said, after he was sacked for the seventh time, he said, no chance for Daniel Jones. And he was right. Daniel Jones was pressured 36 times. 
There was a second straight week that Seattle had 36 pressures in a game, and they led the week both of those weeks. But regardless, Daniel Jones under consistent pressure night in and night out for this Giants team. The Giants have taken five offensive linemen in the first three rounds of, over the last four years, the most in football, and they still have the worst offensive line in football. Daniel Jones has been under more pressure than any quarterback in the NFL since coming into the league in 2019. When do we start looking at coaching? Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, he has to be evaluated. The Giants have the worst offensive line in football by far. And honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a worse offensive line for the Giants. And I don't think I've ever seen a worse one, honestly, in the NFL. Considering how much consistent pressure there is. There's never a good rep for that offensive line. Versus San Francisco, versus Dallas, versus Seattle. No good reps. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes are the quarterback for the Giants. Because none of them would succeed and put up big numbers on this Giants team. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. So that's why I don't blame Daniel Jones. Whether or not you think Daniel Jones is a solution, no matter who the guy's a quarterback, they're not putting up numbers and moving the ball downfield when they're under consistent pressure at an all-time rate every single play. I know other quarterbacks have tough offensive line situations and limited time to throw, but there can be a worse offensive line than this Giants offensive line of pass protection. And then you also factor in that the Giants have the 32nd ranked wide receiver group in the NFL with a 32nd ranked offensive line. The offensive line is hindering all of the Giants' chances of success of moving the ball downfield and putting points on the board. The Giants' weapons are obviously an issue, but I think the Giants have a 32nd ranked wide receiver group because they don't really have much of a chance to get open because of the limited time there is with the offensive line failing just about every single play. And I know I saw some people say they wanted to switch Daniel Jones out for Tyrod Taylor to start this week versus Miami. Watch what happens if that were to be the case. That's not happening, but nothing would change. This offensive line is historically bad. I've never seen a worse one for this Giants team. The Seahawks had five sacks heading into last Monday night, and they had eight in the first three quarters and 11 overall in the game. On Daniel Jones' just second pass attempt of 10-plus yards downfield all game, he was picked by Quandre Diggs. It was a poor throw. And the game was over at that point. But if you watch a replay on that play, Evan Neal blocked his own teammate. He blocked Matt Breeder on that play and let Daniel Jones get lit up. Daniel Jones only averaged three air yards per attempt on Monday night, which is the lowest by a quarterback this season. And that's because of the poor timing of the offensive line. There was no time for him to throw. He was under consistent pressure and no one could get open far enough downfield in time for him to try to find them and look upfield. Since he was already under pressure, he really didn't have much time to get the ball out. He finished the game just 1-for-2 with 22 passing yards and an interception on passes 10-plus yards downfield. And after his 11th sack of the night, I liked what Troy Aikman said. He said he's amazed at how well Daniel Jones keeps his composure after living on the ground all night. He was getting hit play after play. Seattle had a team record of 11 sacks and a Monday Night Football record with 11 sacks. The Giants need their offensive line coach, Bobby Johnson, to be really evaluated. Brian Dable has to look look at the film and see whether it's the players that are out there, which I'm sure contribute, but also coaching. Because if you take five offensive linemen in the first three rounds of the NFL draft in the last four years, and you still have the worst offensive line in football, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong. And then obviously the special teams coach, Thomas McGahee, you got to look at that as well with all the penalties and mistakes by the special teams all night. Seattle had a franchise record of 11 sacks. And then the Giants also had a franchise record of sacks allowed with 11 in this one. Only five teams in NFL history have ever had more than 11 sacks in a game. So this was historically a bad game by the offensive line and probably the worst I've ever seen the Giants offensive line in my life. Worse than the Bobby Hutt 
in Nate Solder and Eric Flowers' days. It's worse than that. The Giants' offense had to make adjustments. Mike Kafka, the Giants' offense coordinator, had to make changes during the game. Maybe bring in an extra blocker for just about every single play and be full pass protection every single play. The running back has to pass pro just about every play just to try to give Daniel Jones more time. That's something you have to try to do. Make it 12 personnel and have the running back in the backfield be in max protection just to try to give Daniel Jones some time. Something had to change. Because Seattle was keening in on the short pass game and all the underneath routes because they knew Daniel Jones didn't have any time to throw downfield and take a deep shot since the receivers couldn't get off the line of scrimmage before Daniel Jones was already almost getting hit by a Seattle defensive lineman. And if you look into the Giants' offensive line, allowed 11 sacks, as I've said, threw two interceptions by the offense with a pick six, just three points scored, and four different players on Seattle had multiple sacks. Seattle's defense really ripped apart that Giants' offense, and this was a game the Giants should have been in. Seattle should have been on even level of a playing field with the Giants. They were both very similar teams coming into the game. The Giants were struggling offensively, but talent-wise, the Giants should be in a game with the Seattle Seahawks, not get blown out and obviously have that bad of a game on offense. Seattle became just the second team with 11 sacks and a pick six in a game ever, joining the 1967 Raiders. There were 10 sacks on Daniel Jones, and then one of Paris Campbell on a swing pass, so 11 sacks total in the night. Bobby Wagner was a pest for the Giants. He had a great game, 17 tackles, two sacks, and three pressures. And then Devin Witherspoon was all over the field all night. The rookie defensive back did shine on the biggest stage of Monday Night Football. And now this brings into question, were there any positives for the Giants on the night? I'd say there were a few. DJ Davidson, he was batting passes down left and right on limited snaps. The defense did play hard as well. Despite the poor tackling on that pass play to Noah Fant up the sidelines, the defense did play with some grit and did show some heart. Trey Hawkins didn't start at outside corner. He ended up being benched, and it looked like Cordell Flott took his spot over being in the slot, and then Adoree Jackson jumped from the slot to the outside. That's where Adoree Jackson is better, though, in my opinion, is on the outside. Deontay Banks did have a tough game versus DK Metcalf. Shadowed him on 100% of his routes. DK had three receptions on 25 snaps with four targets for 34 yards and a touchdown. Kayvon Thibodeau was a very positive part of that Giants defense on the night, and so was Dexter Lawrence. Both of them played very well. Two guys combined for eight pressures and two sacks. And then Isaiah Simmons played hard as well. Wanda Robinson did look good on offense. Five catches of 40 yards with 28 yards after the catch. He showed some fight and some speed. And then Aziz Ojolari did show some pressure off the edge, which was great to see in his return from the injured list. One thing I wasn't a fan of was Brian Dable's decision to throw the tablet after Daniel Jones picked six. Him and Daniel Jones were on the sidelines. And he was looking over the play on the tablet. And Daniel Jones sitting there... And Dable decided to take the tablet and throw it to the left of Daniel Jones out of frustration. Yes, that was a bad throw by Daniel Jones, but support him. You're the coach. You have to go out there and make a change. Whether it's play calling, offensive line, scheming, whatever it may be. You're the coach. You're part of the reason the Giants have been outscored 77-9 in the first half of ball games this season. A minus 68 point differential in the first half of the first four games of the season. The worst since 2000. Tied to the 2002 Bengals. Make a change and an adjustment. What are you going to do? The season is falling apart, the ship's sinking, and everything is crumbling, and it's like the Giants are in a worse position now than they've ever been. It's like they turned back time and are in a much worse position than they've ever been, even worse than the Gettleman and Judge era. They were outscored 64-3 at home this season in both of their primetime games. The best way to try to avoid that is no more primetime games. We don't need them anymore. We don't play well in primetime games ever. A reporter asked Brian Dable after the game what he wanted Daniel Jones to do on that play where he threw a pick six, and Dable responded, not throwing a deception. So it obviously seems like he's frustrated with Daniel Jones, 
But he also has to look at himself, too. And I'm not putting all of the blame on Brian Dable. That's not what I'm doing here. But there aren't many bright spots in team that's one and three. And as the head coach, you have to figure things out. This team is a playoff team last year. You have to make adjustments. Brian Dable should be at fault to some degree for the Giants being one and three on the season. Am I saying it's all his fault? No. But there aren't many bright spots in this team. And there's no one that you can really say isn't an issue on this team. Every single part of this team has issues. Wide receivers, offensive line, defense, secondary. Every single part of this team has issues. The Giants still have no turnovers forces of defense through four games. They're still missing tackles on defense. And the wide receiver group doesn't have much juice either. And the special teams just had six penalties on Monday night, which is wild. The special teams had a ton of miscues on Monday night. A muffed punt by Eric Ray. Donnie Holmes lets a punt bounce into the end zone for a touchback. We could have tried to stop it from going into the end zone. Multiple penalties on a punt. Adoree Jackson let a punt roll from the 20-yard line to the 2-yard line to give the Giants worst field position. The Giants made a lot of errors on special teams on Monday night. And they also allowed a 23-yard punt return by Seattle. So there weren't many bright spots. So Brian Dable has to figure things out. He should be somewhat at fault for the Giants' offense not being able to move the ball like they did last season. In this game on Monday night, I would say it was the worst game of the year. I'd say worse than Dallas's Week 1 game. Because that was going to be an uphill battle no matter what, because a lot of people knew Dallas had a better roster and a better team than the Giants have. But against Seattle, that should be fair competition. This game was worse than Dallas and San Francisco, because Seattle's a team that you're supposed to be equal levels with. And that wasn't the case on Monday night. The Giants got blown out and embarrassed on national TV yet again. The Giants are supposed to be on Sunday Night Football next week against Buffalo in Week 6. Please flex that game. I want the NFL to do that. Give the Giants a little bit more of an easier uphill battle than it would be on primetime TV. Because on Sunday Night Football, it would be a lot more of an uphill battle than a 1 o'clock game. The Giants play a lot more comfortable in 1 o'clock games than they do in night games. Credit to Devin Witherspoon. I know I already mentioned him, but rookie defensive back. Became the second defensive back with two sacks in a pick six in a game. It just seems like everybody has a historical game against this Giants team. But credit to Witherspoon. He had a great game. He became the fourth player ever to have two sacks and an interception on Monday Night Football. So credit to him for that. Daniel Jones is just one of three quarterbacks to be pressured 10 times all four games this season. And in total this season, he's been pressured 51 times, which is the most in the NFL. And what makes it even worse is that the Giants have only been blitzed 36 times, which is 23rd among quarterbacks. And teams are generating pressure on Daniel Jones without even blitzing. They don't even have to send five or six guys to get pressure on Daniel Jones. They only have to send four, and they're still getting consistent pressure and are in the backfield every single play. So that's an issue. That offensive line is historically bad. And I know Daniel Jones doesn't make it easier on himself sometimes stepping up into the pressure. I know people do blame him for some of the pressures in the sacks, but no one could succeed behind this offensive line. Daniel Jones is trying to mix things up by stepping up in the pocket and see what he can do. But I know Daniel Jones can make plays if he's given the time. Give Daniel Jones a clean pocket, and he can pick Opposing defense is a putt. I still believe in him, and I still think he can be a really good quarterback in the NFL. This one game doesn't change my opinion of him. It doesn't. He finished the game 27 of 34, 203 passing yards, two interceptions, and a fumble, and he's pressured 23 times on 50 dropbacks. It was 46% of his dropbacks he was pressured on. And of those 23 pressures, 10 of them were sacks. So Seattle's defense was getting home and sacking Daniel Jones just about half of the time they got into the backfield. Daniel Jones did run the ball effectively, but that's because he was running for his life just about every single play. 10 carries with 66 yards in the night. I know a few of the sacks were on him for not reading coverages pre-snap, and one or two of them he didn't get rid of the ball when he should have. But man, it's impossible to play behind that offensive line and do anything. It really is. I know he had a bad game. 
I know the fumble was a tough play, and I know the two interceptions were awful throws and were big mistakes by Daniel Jones, but I don't know if anybody could make plays behind that offensive line. I really don't know. Daniel Jones is now 1 of 12 in primetime games, 1 win, 12 losses, but Daniel Jones' offensive line fields him yet again. I know he played poorly, but there isn't a quarterback that could succeed behind that offensive line. This is an all-time bad offensive line. I know I've repeated that now a million times, but that's just how I feel. I'm saying it for emphasis because that offensive line really is so poor. It truly is. And I know everyone on Twitter and ESPN, including Dan Olofsky, Shannon Chop, are loving to see Daniel Jones fail. And it's honestly sad how Giants fans are rooting against their own quarterback and are hoping he screws up so they can rip him and say his contract was a mistake and say that they want to draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft. I really don't care what people say about Daniel Jones. At the end of the day, one game doesn't define a quarterback. It doesn't make or break a quarterback. And I've seen Daniel Jones make plays when he's given a few seconds to go through his progressions and he's given a clean pocket. I've seen him pick Stevens as a pot. But on Monday night, he could only look at his first read because that's all we had time to do. That's all we had time for before the offensive line fields him like turnstiles and there were defensive linemen already in the backfield chasing him. There were three defenders in the backfield. It felt like every single play, honestly, when you were watching that Giants team. And I've supported Daniel Jones through every step of the way, and I'm not going to stop now. Whatever fans he had heading into Monday night switched on him now. But at the end of the day, I don't know how someone could watch that game and think Daniel Jones is the reason that the Giants are 1-3. and three. The whole team's a mess, and there's no really bright spot on this team. But no quarterback could succeed and survive behind that offensive line. It's just unfair to Daniel Jones, and I feel bad for the kid. I really do. I saw people on Twitter roasting his contract and saying how he's the most overpaid player in all of sports. But if you look at it, he's only the 13th paid highest quarterback in the NFL. And Trevor Lawrence still hasn't been paid yet. And people are saying that he's a thief and it's a worst contract in all of sports. But after next season ends, if the Giants do decide to cut Daniel Jones because they have a chance to get out of the contract after the 2024 season is over, they would have only $18 million in dead cap money if my money's right. It would save up to $21 million. And after his restructure... During the offseason, his deal was four years total with $82 million guaranteed. But people love throwing the $160 million total out there. They love saying it's $160. But that includes a lot of incentives, and it also doesn't include the fact that the Giants have an opt-out after year two. It isn't as bad of a deal as people want to say, but people love ripping guys when they're down. People love going with what the crowd's saying and just kicking guys when they're down. And it's easy to hit Daniel Jones right now when he's down, and everyone's piling it on because it's the trendy thing and most popular thing to do on Twitter right now. But I've never been one for that. In regards to his contract, quarterbacks in today's day are all getting $35 plus million. That's just the way of the NFL right now. And I'm not switching on Daniel Jones. I'm not. I'm not switching up on him. Fans are so fickle. But honestly, everyone for the most part in all of sports are fickle. They make their opinions of players on a week-to-week basis and just follow whatever the crowd's saying. Everybody loves feasting on negativity and piling on the slander for a guy like Daniel Jones, which I've never been a fan of. Everybody, it seems like, wants to see Daniel Jones fail. And one thing I didn't like was Eric Armstead, a defensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers, in a tweet he had during the Giants game on Monday night. He said, Daniel Jones, I'm so disappointed in you. Why would you throw the ball so quick versus us and then let these people have a career day? Why weren't we deserving? I don't like that line at all. Very sarcastic and obviously making fun of Daniel Jones and hitting him while he's down. I don't like that line from Armstead. And at the end of the day, I feel like whenever you do that and you hit a player when they're down like that, it doesn't ever come back and play in your favor. I feel like a lot of the time, which I'm not sure if this is going to be the case with the Giants this year considering they're one and three, but a lot of the time guys say something like that and run their mouth at a player and then they end up playing that team in the playoffs and losing to them. 
which I would love to see the Giants beat the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. But obviously, the way things look right now, that's unlikely. But if we ever did play San Francisco again this year, and if the Giants could figure things out, I'd have trusted them to play with a chip on their shoulder and be in that game. And another tweet I didn't like was Dan Olofsky of ESPN. He said, was shocked when the Giants took DJ at six. Was shocked when they paid him what they paid him. For a moment, they thought it would work this year because of the skill around him. He is who he is, and they have an issue at quarterback now money-wise. And also, we had a whole segment on Tuesday morning saying that six of the ten sacks on Daniel Jones were Daniel Jones' fault, which it may look like that on the film. But when you're under consistent pressure like that, it's hard for Daniel Jones to make any adjustments on his own. The offensive line has to play somewhat better. There were multiple reps where there were four pass rushes for Seattle, and they were getting through the Giants' offensive line with five linemen on the line for the Giants and a running back. They were just getting consistent pressure on Daniel Jones. You can blame Daniel Jones all you want, but I don't think putting a different quarterback in that backfield would make a big difference. And then Witherspoon, after the game, was asked about his performance and how the Seattle Seahawks were so prepared for this game on Monday night. And he said about Daniel Jones, we know how he stares down the first read and who he wants to throw to. Well, the way I feel about it, in my opinion, is that Daniel Jones only has the first read because he can't look anywhere else because the pressure's already getting to him. And I don't know how people can watch this Giants team and think any quarterback could be competitive behind that line. Honestly, it's impressive that Daniel Jones even has the guts to get back out there, play after play, because that offensive line failed him on Monday night. He's the toughest quarterback in the league in my eyes. He's been pressured 51 times in four games. And at some point, we do have to look at coaching. The Giants may have taken a good amount of offensive linemen in the draft in the early rounds, and some of them may be busts, especially Evan Neal. He doesn't look good right now at all. And I didn't like his comments during the middle of the week when he took a jab at Giants fans and said, who are they? Basically, with the quote saying, why would a lion ever concern himself with the opinion of a sheep? And who are the fans that are criticizing him? Are they flipping hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere? I don't like that line at all. No need to degrade people in their job. And secondly, he's been a big problem for that Giants offensive line. He needs to focus less on the fans and focus more on adjusting and trying to be better for that offensive line. That's what he needs to focus more on. Not trying to take jabs at the fans who have been here before Evan Neal got here, and they'll be here after Evan Neal leaves. That's just a reality, and Saquon Barkley said that best. The fans were here before us, and they'll be here after us. And he's right. Don't take jabs at the fans. You never really win that way. But I do think part of the issue is coaching. Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, has to do a better job. At the end of the day, I feel that Daniel Jones is in a lose-lose situation. Because people are rooting for him to do poorly, especially this Giants fan base. A lot of people are rooting against him. People want to see him screw up. And whether it's to validate their opinion of his contract, or of where he was picked in the draft, or because they want to tank for a higher pick... Everybody has a different narrative. But the quarterback will always be to blame. And that comes with the responsibility and the accountability of the position. But Daniel Jones didn't throw his offensive line under the bus at all in his press conference. He could have easily have done that, but he didn't. And that's not who he is. And that's not what you want to see out of a quarterback. You don't want to see a guy throw his team under the bus. So I'm proud of Daniel Jones for not doing that. That wouldn't be a leader, obviously, if you take a jab at your offensive line. But I still believe in this kid. And I still want him to succeed more than anything. He has a talent to be a winner in this league. At the same time, may not be in New York. Maybe it's elsewhere. Maybe I'll have less pressure on him elsewhere, on and off the field. Maybe it'll be less pressure against him by the opposing defense and then also by the city's media, wherever he ends up. And the way I feel about it is this. I feel like I'm back at where I was after the 2021 season ended, after Gettleman's last season with the Giants. I see that I care more about Daniel Jones and his success than the Giants winning. So even if that means Daniel Jones has to go elsewhere and it's better for him, I'm happier in that situation for him. I really am. And like I've already mentioned, fans are so fickle. They switch from narrative to narrative to opinion to opinion each and every week. 
Every single week, they change their opinion. And I think if Daniel Jones had a big game this week against Miami and recovered when nobody expected it, people would praise him and just forget about last week's bad game to some degree. They'd still remember it, but he would be being bashed on ESPN like he was all week after that poor game on Monday night. If he could recover with a good game today, people wouldn't be talking about Monday night on ESPN. They'd just be talking about how good of a game he had against the Dolphins if he were to do so. Because that's what the media and that's what the sports world's all about. They find whatever the crowd's saying, and most of the time, people follow whatever the crowd says. Just like his big comeback game against Arizona, people were praising him on Monday morning after that. And what'd you see in that game? Daniel Jones was given time to throw and was able to pick the defense apart when he was given time to look downfield. And I don't care what anybody says. I see what I see, and I've seen what I've seen. The kid has the talent to lead a team. But the injuries to Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas, and obviously the poor offensive line, all of those things have contributed to where the Giants are right now. And now he's losing confidence with himself. His coach is losing confidence in him and is in his face, obviously after the pick six. And obviously the media and the fan base are betting against him. And that doesn't help his confidence. And what it comes down to a quarterback is this. Quarterbacks need confidence. And I don't need people to agree with me to feel the way I do about Daniel Jones or any player, honestly, because I know a lot of the time people aren't going to agree with me about Daniel Jones and how I feel about him. And that's fine. That's fine. That's what sports media and podcasting is all about. People aren't going to always agree with every one of your opinions. But you don't need people to agree with you to validate how you feel about him or any athlete. Because the beauty of sports is this, is that oftentimes we disagree with other people, but at the end of the day, we're all entitled to our own opinion. After the game, Micah Parsons, linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, put out a tweet about Daniel Jones, and it was in support of him. It was a video of Daniel Jones on a rep where his five offensive linemen all fields against a four-man pass rush for Seattle, and he quote-tweeted that video and said, very easy to say it's Daniel Jones. And I'd like to see Micah Parsons support him. Because Parsons is one of the best in the business at what he does. And it's nice to see him, an opposing linebacker, speak well of Daniel Jones and stick up for him when nobody else is. And at the end of the day, you see three offensive linemen chasing their man after they lost their rep. And whoever they were matched up against was already chasing Daniel Jones. It shows that we had no chance to make plays. And it's sad that we live in a society where people enjoy seeing other people fail. Because I feel like so many people are hating on Daniel Jones and just hitting him while he's down. But the way I feel about it is a lot of people use the narrative, oh, he holds the ball for too long. Daniel Jones' offensive line averages 2.2 seconds from the snap to pressure, which is impossible for any QB to succeed. And to put this into context, Tom Brady used to average around 2.4, 2.5 seconds from snap to throw, meaning behind this Giants offensive line, he wouldn't have much time to get rid of the ball. So a lot of people are asking, where did this Giants team go so wrong? They were a playoff team last year. And if you watched any of the games this year, you would think that's a joke. Last year, Daniel Jones did have much better numbers, but he was playing with so much more confidence and definitely had more time to throw last year than he did this year, even though last year's offensive line wasn't great either. Two things that we should know are so important to a quarterback success are confidence and time to throw. Zach Wilson on Sunday Night Football versus the Chiefs had both of those things. A little bit more time to throw than he's had and also had confidence. He got in a groove and got in a rhythm and obviously it made a big difference. And like I was saying about fans being so fickle, Joe Namath a couple weeks ago was making statements about Zach Wilson saying he hopes Zach Wilson never plays for the Jets again. After a good game on Monday night, 
He said he hopes Zach Wilson is the quarterback for the Jets the next 10 years. A lot of people have turned their opinion of Zach Wilson after just one game on Sunday night, which just shows fans are so fickle. The narrative around Zach Wilson for the last couple of years has been he's a bust, he's not good, he's never going to get you where you want to get to, and it was a waste of draft pick. After one good game on Sunday night football, everybody seems like has switched their opinion of him, which just shows fans are so fickle. So if Daniel Jones could have a big game on Sunday versus Miami today in week five, he could silence a lot of his haters with a big game. He really could. But if you look at last season, Daniel Jones had the lowest interception rate in the NFL. Just 1.1% of his passes were intercepted last season. And he reached career highs in completion percentage of 67%, passing yards with 3,200, and also passer rating with a 92.5 passer rating. And he also had a career high in rushing yards with 708, and also in rushing touchdowns as well with 7. But if you look at last season, he only had 8 turnovers, which was the lowest in his career by far. If you look at this season, he already has six interceptions in the first four games of the season. Last year, he only had five all season. Partly because the receivers have been letting balls go off the hands, three of those six interceptions were not Daniel Jones' fault, but the two on Monday night were bad passes. I can't really stick up for him there. But at the end of the day, football's always about adjusting. How can you adjust and try to make things right on the next play? Can Daniel Jones recover this week? against Miami and find a way to get back on track. That's what football is all about, adjusting and finding ways to get yourself back on track. Two big things for Daniel Jones in this offense is that they were out Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas because of injuries. That's detrimental to the offense. Daniel Jones needs both of those guys back, but unfortunately, they will be missing week five versus the Dolphins today. So that's obviously a big loss there. The Giants trade of a Darren Waller for him just to have three catches for 21 yards on Monday night. He was supposed to be a big red zone guy because of his height, but the Giants haven't used his height to their advantage yet. And the Giants are also an undisciplined team. It looked like they didn't prepare at all for the game on Monday night. And part of the blame has to go on Brian Dable and the coaching staff. Six special teams penalties on Monday night, and the team just had no discipline. They were playing chippy all night. Heading into week four, the Giants' biggest issue as a team was offensive line play. And that was the same thing on Monday night. The offensive line, it seems like, regressed from week three to week four somehow. And they also still have an issue tackling, which you saw in that poor tackling play on the 52-yard catch by Noah Fant up the sidelines. Probably the only real bad tackling play on the night for the Giants' defense, but it's still an apparent issue. Just like in the first run play of the game by Kenneth Walker, tackling still is an issue. And the offensive line continues to be the biggest issue on the team, and it's worse now than ever. Worst in the league, and maybe the worst of all time that I've seen. Just pure turnstiles, it seems like, at every position on the offensive line. The offensive line is at an all-time low, worse than the Eric Flowers and worse than the Bobby Hot Days. And I know I said in my game preview for that Seattle game that I was hoping that Evan Neal would take his struggles and mistakes and turn them into lessons. But now it's been just about a full year of him starting, which some guys, it does take some time to try to get on track. But you want to see some progress, and I haven't seen any progress out of this kid. It seems like he's a bust. But at the end of the day, Andrew Thomas did struggle in his first year, and then he learned from his mistakes. And I'm hoping that's the same thing for Evan Neal, but I don't really have much confidence in that being the case. I really don't. And one thing for the Giants last year is that the schedule was easier. They had some close games go their way, and the schedule was a little bit easier. And with this year's schedule, it is harder, and a lot of people are moving on from Daniel Jones, it seems like. They want the Giants to tank for the rest of the season and try to get the first overall pick in Caleb Williams, which I don't think will be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes since you probably need to lose around 14 to 15 games, and I think the Giants can still win some more games this season. It's only week five. We're one and three. There's still a lot of issues with this team, but you can't completely give up after week four. You can't. There's still another 13 games to go. You cannot give up after week four. The Giants still have talent to put things together, 
Maybe they're not a Super Bowl team this season, obviously. They're still on the holes. But they do have talent on both sides of the ball. But obviously, a poor offensive line can fail an offense and drive the team down altogether. There's still 13 games left to go, and there is a tough schedule. They got Miami this week, Buffalo next week, then the Commanders, Jets, Raiders, Cowboys, Commanders, Patriots, and then their bye week. In order to stay afloat, the Giants need to win a game against Buffalo, Miami, and have an upset win. I think Buffalo, the Giants beat next week. That was my prediction before the season began, and I'm going to stay with that. But it's obviously going to be an uphill battle, considering how poor we've looked, and obviously an offense that can't really score much right now. It's going to be hard to beat an offense like the Buffalo Bills. But anything can happen week to week. You don't know if other teams are going to take the Giants lightly. The Sports Illustrated Week 4 Power Rankings had the 49ers at 1, the Cowboys at 5, and the Seahawks at 9. The Giants have played three of those teams in their first four games of the season. And the Dolphins were at 7 in the rankings, and the Bills were at 4. The Giants' two next opponents. Meaning, of the Giants' first six games, they play five top 10 teams according to the Sports Illustrated Power Rankings. So the Giants have had no luck with their schedule. And I think the way I feel about the situation is drafting or bringing in another quarterback doesn't solve the abysmal offensive line. Their issues on the offensive line would continue no matter who the quarterback is. And every single year, I wait nine months for Giants football to return. And I'm not going to give up on the season after just four games. No matter how poor we've looked, I'm not going to stop watching after week four. Because that's not the type of fan I am. And I waited nine months to watch this team play again. I stayed through the painful Ben McAdoo, Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman days. And I'm not going to completely give up on this team after week four. If I was going to give up on being a Giants fan, it would have been easy to do that long ago. And that's not who I am as a fan. I still love this Giants team. And I'll be right back here watching them this week versus the Dolphins. And next week versus the Buffalo Bills, no matter what happens. And it seems like a lot of love and praise around Brian Dable and Joe Shane is starting to dwindle with these losses. More on Joe Shane than Brian Dable, I'd say. A lot of people are saying the offensive line... Being as bad as they are is on Joe Shane, which I think it's on coaching as well. Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, has to be held accountable. But the way I feel about the situation is, there's still 14 games left to go. But in the Giants' last 14 games, dating back from last season to now, the Giants are just 4-9-1, being outscored 382 to 259 in that 14-game stretch. And that's according to Dan Duggan of The Athletic. And not being able to score three points at home in a primetime game versus a bottom three defense in the NFL... It's obviously very disappointing to see. A Seattle defense that was giving up 300 passes and yards per game. It was the worst pass defense in the NFL, and the Giants could only get three points on offense. Brian Dable needs to wake up and be held accountable, too. There's a lot of issues with this Giants team, and they need to figure things out sooner rather than later. It's week five. They're playing a very good team in Miami today. It's obviously going to be tough without Andrew Thomas and Saquon Barkley, both of them being out. But Daniel Jones, I'm looking forward to seeing play today because a lot of people are against him. And at the end of the day, his back's against the wall. And when your back's against the wall in life and everybody's counting you out, that's when the best things can happen. So Daniel Jones, if he could throw for 250 yards today and have two or three touchdowns, which I do have faith in him to be able to do that if he is given time to throw. If Daniel Jones is given time to throw, he could have 250 passing yards today with 50 rushing yards and three touchdowns. That's if he's given time to throw. If he's not, it's going to look like what it's looked like the last couple weeks. Give Daniel Jones time to throw and he can succeed. Get Darren Waller more involved in the offense, especially in the red zone. And give Gary Brightwell a chance on offense. I know we had some issues last week with penalties on Monday night on special teams. But I'd love to see Gary Brightwell given another chance, considering Saquon Barkley's out another week. He can be a dangerous back for this Giants team if given more touches. I truly believe that. And even though I think the Giants do lose today's game, I think it'll be a very close game. And I think the Giants can stay within a touchdown. I think it'll be a close game and the Giants can stick around. Because everybody's counting them out. And a lot of the time when you doubt it, 
You can play with a chip in your shoulder can make you play better, which I'm hoping is the case today for the Giants. What we saw last week on Monday night was two positive developments for the defense. Aziz Ojolari looked good, and Kayvon Thibodeau looked like the Kayvon Thibodeau the Giants drafted him to be with the fifth overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. That's what the Giants need from Thibodeau again today. Pressure to attack him. He's a great quarterback. I like the Dolphins a lot. They're my favorite team in the AFC, but the Giants need a win today. Even if they don't get it, if they can play close and be in this game, that can be somewhat of a momentum shift for the rest of the season. The Giants really need to find a way to get a turnover. When the defense has zero turnovers forced on the season, that's a big issue. So they have to find a way to get to a tag of a to make a mistake today. Meaning they have to generate pressure and the defense has to step up. The defensive backs have to make a play today. Is Adore Jackson going to step up and be that guy in the secondary the Giants need him to be? Which I faith he can be. Can he force a turnover today when he's going up against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle? That's what the Giants need. Obviously, two of the best receivers in the NFL, two very shifty receivers. Devon A-Chain is a great back. He's looked very good over the last couple weeks. The Giants have to find a way to limit him, and they have to find a way to force a turnover on defense, which is an uphill battle. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but nothing in life that's worth doing is ever easy. So I've trusted this Giants team to stay close today, and even if I'm wrong at the end of the day, it's wishful thinking. Hopefully, I can send some positive energy their way, just like I did on Thursday Night Football this past week with Justin Fields. Everybody was slandering Justin Fields. I put some positive energy his way. I believed him to have a big game. And what did he do? He had a big game on Thursday Night Football and got the Bears their first win of the season. The same goes for Sunday Night Football with Zach Wilson. I had a lot of faith in him. I thought he would have a big game. He had a big game when everybody was doubting him right before it. And now he ends up turning the opinions of a lot of people. And people are slandering him less now online and on ESPN. People are starting to believe in him considering they're going up against Denver today. A lot of people are believing in Zach Wilson to have a big game today. And I am one of those people. I think he goes to 300 yards and three touchdowns today. Against that Denver defense, that's one of the worst in the NFL. I believe in Zach Wilson to have a big game today. But the point of what I'm saying is here is a lot of people have been against these guys. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones. Mac Jones obviously has been struggling at his worst game of his NFL career last week. A lot of people are against these guys. But I've been trying to send some positive energy their way. And it worked with Zach Wilson. It works with Justin Fields. Obviously, it didn't work on Monday night for Daniel Jones. I thought he'd have a big game in the air against that Seattle defense. But considering he didn't really have much time to throw, and obviously the pressure was there all night, it was tough for Daniel Jones to do that. But I'm rooting for him today to have a big game. I'll always be on Daniel Jones' side at the end of the day. And even though he does make mistakes, Daniel Jones, those two interceptions on Monday night were not great. Obviously, two very poor decisions by him. But if you couldn't tell the 50 minutes of listening to this episode... I still believe in Daniel Jones. I still believe in him. Anyways, it will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.